everyone, and welcome to the House Conspiracy Podcast, a show about the house and on the house. I'm Jonathan O'Brien, and I'm the founding creative director at House Conspiracy. Today, I'm talking to Anna Litwinovich, who's currently studying visual art at QUT. We talked today about just that, about getting the most out of the student and tertiary art world experience, as well as about the shift her practice has recently taken from a focus on the body and the physical toward instead the philosophical and metaphysical. Before we begin, uh, regular housekeeping, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, and you can visit us at houseconspiracy.org to learn more about our artists and about how we could support you. Also, you can join our mailing list. It's worth it. And now, on to the show. Studio 3 is House Conspiracy's largest studio space, and has always been the one to be marked most intensely by the artists that occupy it. When Anna arrived at the house, she did a bit of a reset on the space, giving large portions of the wall a fresh coat of paint so she could work within a room that mimics the white walls of a gallery. Anna likes that sort of space, and doesn't enjoy the stigma that it gets now. We agree that it's a strange sort of reactionary backlash people are having to the white wall gallery of late though we don't really talk about that on this podcast. Instead, we talk more about the words on a studio door, about perception, senses, and existentialism. And now, here's Anna Litwinovich. I wanted to start actually by asking you about not really the body of work you're working on here, but a lot of your work in the past has sort of been focused on the body mm. and focused on um, sort of for human form and then placing that in interesting sort of environments and locations and thinking about how that can evoke certain things. Because a lot of your works all feature your body, but evoke very different things. And I wanted to ask, I guess, to begin, like where did your interest in the body come from? Mm, that's interesting. I think my interest came from myself as a human being, um, not looking at myself as a female or a male, but just as Anna and how I perceive my body and what the body can do in different environments. And yeah, I think it was also something I started with um, at the beginning of uni and it was sort of an easy thing to do. Uh, and that's easy because you already had it. <laughs> yeah, basically, basically. And that's why I always used my own body because no one else could really do what I was thinking apart from my body. And it started off as me, like a lot of my photography works was me doing installations of like with my body, more like these, um, capturing the moment of performative pieces and then they just turned into photographic works but I didn't realize it was actually the documentation of those performative installations that I was doing and so that's where that all started but um I did hit middle of this year at the end of semester one where the body just wasn't working for me anymore and that's when I changed and started to look into existence but I think the body was fundamental to my explorations now it sort of gave me a base as to who I am and my place here and that I'm actually a physical being that can, you know, hear, see, feel. And I think that's 
why that year and a half of bodily explorations happened. Yeah, and and I want to move sort of not yet, but yeah, sort of talk about that shift from a yeah. sort of physical centering to a metaphysical centering. But first, I wanted to ask. Um, you've got a couple works that I'd like to ask you about. Um, so oh, you've no. got, for instance, Gloom Worms. Oh yeah, um, which is like you're tied up it, by, with fairy lights. Yeah, bound. In, in, yeah, you're bound in the backyard, naked. Yeah. Um, and you're barely even a focal point of the frame, and it's. Super evocative um, in, a, in a very different way to a lot of your other work. And I wanted to ask where that came from. And was, it, was that a performance piece that you were documenting or was it staged specifically? It was staged specifically, yeah. But in saying that, I think it could have been interesting as a performance piece, definitely, because part of the... I had like my friend in the backyard with the camera on the tripod and then I was like wiggling around into all these different positions. What the, where that came from, I was looking into BDSM um, as, a, as a thing. I wasn't really sure how that happened, but it was more an exploration of sexuality. And I started, like, Gloomworms came from a previous work that was these fluffy boards with gloom text spelt out on it. And just one day it came to me, as all ideas do, Gloomworms, like... That could be really interesting. And so it came with thinking of um, embodying gloom as a feeling and how that related to BDSM like, and bounding myself. It was just like a collection of things that happened. Yeah. I yeah, think. And, yeah. And you get the sense of gloom almost not so much even from your body but from where your body is in the frame. You're in sort of shadow of the house, but all the lines in the photograph are shifting towards a place that is not you. You're not the you're not focused on at all, which makes you almost an afterthought, which you know, you could translate to sort of that 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 BDSM trope of sort of feminine submission, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I make these works instantly there's not much thought until after it has happened where I reflect and go okay so this is what is happening here and I feel like the the bodies are not really an afterthought but more it's all equally balanced like everything is supposed to be where it is in the image and I also think the sense of gloom comes from the time of dusk like the time it was shot when you know when the sun's setting and it's all a bit like you're entering nighttime all a bit mm. doomy and gloomy it's an interesting work I haven't thought about that for a while yeah yeah well it's one of one of the sort of striking works in your support documentation for when you yeah applied to house yeah, um, yeah, yeah. along with probably the most striking material and I, I know I've mentioned this to you in cinnamon Smith, mm. our marketing uh, manager, has as well is a uh, mouth drain. Mouth drain. Yes. I just I just want you to talk about mouth drain. Uh, <laughs> describe it and um yeah speak on it mouth drain okay so it's a photograph where the mouth is essentially the drain in a milk bath so it's like a milk bath and you have like these little pink circular lips and the water is sort of flowing into the mouth but not not quite yet it's not engulfing the mouth yet uh so how that work happened I know we have spoken about this previously yeah but yeah, this, yeah, is, yeah. this is for the kids yeah no that's fine um, I was just experimenting one day with my body in a milk bath and 
I had my camera and I held down the shutter on my face, like above, above myself. And I just would dunk myself under the water and I took like 200 shots and that was probably one that I really liked. And I thought it was kind of a joke at first because I picked it out and I, um, I sent it to my friend. I was like, mouth drain. And she was like, yes, this is, this is a thing. And so that's how it happened. And I've had many comments on it. People, people don't really know what it is. You know, someone has, someone has asked me if it's pornographic or if it's a belly button. Mm. I'm like, has teeth. Yeah. You could see the teeth. Your belly button doesn't have teeth? No, is that is that a strange thing? That's fine. We'll talk after the <laughs> podcast. Um, no, yeah. it's yeah, it's a really it's yeah, it is interesting because there is almost. I mean, when when we were curating um, the, this round, we 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 did talk about mouth drain with a sense of joy, mm. right? And like, not that it it's a it was a joke, but just like there's something joyous. I think not only about the, the the title. I think the title really adds something to the work. You know, you could you could give it a really wanky title like The Mist of the Milk Bath and it would Too be many syllables. It's so many syllables. Yeah. <laughs> but it would be a really like that would ruin the work. So it's yeah. it's, it's one yeah. of those interesting works where you kind of go, no, okay, very much in contemporary art, the title is a, yeah. a segment of the work. But also beneath that joy, and I've spoken about this with a couple of the other artists uh, who we've had through, but beneath that sort of initial joy reaction there is there is something haunting mm. in the work as well and I think I think that's why it might be so successful I don't know I see that I think there are many layers to it that I didn't really you know notice at first I do see that like it has that absurdity and that humor but then on the flip side it's like a paradox where it's funny but then you look at it and you're like oh wait this is this is a little bit daunting and I think that's a really interesting perception to have. Did it did it come from just sort of with the sort of vanished nature of it? Did it come around the same time you were exploring BDSM with gloomworms? Or? Yes. Yeah. 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 And did yeah. it come out of that sort of the submergence or? Mm, I don't really know. It all just because it all happened in one semester at uni mm-hmm. and everything, everything kind of happens as a chain of events. I, yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about that for a bit before we sort of shift over to what you're working on now yes. and sort yes. of that sort of element of things blurring together when, when you're working through at university, do you find mm. it's, what are the advantages and, and disadvantages for you? Cause you're a current student, you're yes. in your second year at uh, Queensland university of technology, um, uh, which is where a fair number of our, um, residents have come from. Um, and myself included. Um, so you have been there for a couple of years. How have you found it? Is it conducive to creating work or is that blur of exploration more of an advantage than a disadvantage? Mm, mm, okay. Um, I would say it's an advantage for me. You know, everyone's university experience is personal and it's how you utilize what you're given at the time. It just, it so happens that I really enjoy obsessively working and creating artwork. And so the process of, you know, fitting so much into, you know, 12 weeks is, 
it is really good for me. I, I take advantage of it and I see it as a, as a very good thing. But then again, at the end of the 12 weeks, I am exhausted. I am mentally dead, but also it forces me to develop a, pro- a practice. And, and, and within that practice, I have developed a process. And these things are, they're not, they're not really strongly forced upon you, but they're like, this is the criteria. But in saying that as the criteria, it's also something you develop and you make a habit and I can see this continuing, you know, for the, for the foreseeable future. And it's kind of what I've been applying to this experience here, you know, researching a lot and making, experimenting and just seeing what happens from that. And so, yeah, disadvantages, I think, is that it is a lot. Mm. Um, but in saying that, I, I do like that. Well, it's 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 That's nice if you can take advantage of yeah, it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you do. You are currently, or were this year the president of I, I Postdatum? Stu- yeah, I You're still am. On two years. Yeah, time. yeah. So with Postdatum, it usually is passed down to the second years, but because there's been a bit of a struggle with um, that that handover process, we want to make it more across all the years and kind of um, work with the second years who will be the second years next year, and then have that handover a bit smoother when it comes to the middle of the year. So it's just a bit more time and for them to get used to it because we want post-datum to be something that continues and that is strong. Now, what what is post-datum? Oh, sorry. Yes, post-datum is the QUT Art Collective Mm -hmm. who's run by students, and basically we get funded by the uni to put on art events or events that bring together the community at QUT a chance for students to showcase their work. And so that's really what we're trying to do. I mean, you can do anything with it. Yeah. And you're able to use QT facilities and yeah. whatnot, which is a huge advantage. Yeah, it, it definitely is. Um, we're trying to take more advantage of it just because there's a lot to do and a lot that hasn't been done yet. So that's kind of... Yeah, no, it's been it's been a really good experience because it forces myself and the three others who are part of Postdatum to, you know, emerge ourselves in the community and network with different creatives and spaces and see what's out there in Brisbane because in Brisbane you have to find things. Things don't come to you. Yes, yeah, that's yeah. that's true. I mean, everyone's I think stretched so thin that it uh, promoting Promoting what you have almost becomes a, a liability because the more you promote yourself, the more work you're hypothetically going to have to do, mm. um, particularly mm. as sort of a, a venue or a space. And I speak a little bit to my experience at House Conspiracy, but also to other peoples um, who have venues, who I've spoken with, sort of speaking to that as well. But I wanted to ask you, um, you have both organized and been part of group exhibitions, obviously, House Conspiracy is a, a group exhibition, so not so much talk about that because that's not done yet. Yeah, and I, I yeah. promise it's going to be okay. But I wanted to talk <laughs> about. So I wanted to ask you about sort of what what have the dynamics been like for you? Um, what dynamics have been present when you've been either organized or organizing in group exhibitions? What do you have to navigate there? Wow. Okay. In organizing a group exhibition, the smallest things that you wouldn't have thought of at the beginning of the process, like. Um, the application process, how long until the deadline is, because we found that when I was organising the group shows that everyone submitted in the last two days. So it's just trying to navigate that and then also navigating around, 
uni and our assessment, you know, uh, contacting gallery spaces to see what's available, see what their costs are and how much we can afford. Um, and then also talking with the students to see what they want because the, the exhibitions I've organized is through post-datum. Yeah. So it's all through the uni. And so that, I think that has been what I have learnt. But yeah, it's really interesting to get to know the different people that work at the spaces because they're really excited to have people on board and using their space. We did our last exhibition at the substation in Paddington mm-hmm. and the man there was really lovely. He was, he, was, um, he was very excited for something different to be happening in the space. Because it's usually a craft studio there at the yeah, moment, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or exhibitions that are more um, based on sales. Yeah, Which yeah, is uh, commercial exhibitions. Yeah, yeah, there we go. You got the word. Um, but yeah, and then being a part of group shows, you know, it does take a lot of the work away, but then it's also just navigating, you know, how do you get your work there and what sort of help do the people organising it need? Just things like that. I'm really basic, like, admin things, if that's what you were thinking Yeah, of. yeah. I Look, yeah. I just yeah, I just wanted to uh, get some goss. No, I didn't get want some goss. goss. I didn't want goss. There's, I, there's I, no goss. I, no, and that's really good. I think I think most people, particularly sort of at the the emerging level, tend to have relatively positive experiences of group shows because no one's anyone's enemy. No, no, and you find that the people who are a part of the group shows are all just as motivated to be a part of the exhibition. And so you're all on the same page doing the same thing and it all just sort of works out. And yeah, it's yeah. good. It's good. Yeah. And that's, I'm, yeah, it's really, it makes sense that you're here at House Conspiracy given sort of how involved you've been sort of in the art world. Like, do you find that sort of being involved in an organizational basis, how does that relate to your art practice? I don't even know. I I separate the two. So I don't think they help each other out in any way. But in saying that, I think being part of post-datum gives me more confidence in putting my work out there and understanding what goes on behind the scenes if I'm submitting something or, you know, if I'm volunteering to help out with something. I think it's just more of a confidence thing that it gives me but in terms of like the artwork that I create no there's there's no correlation how about does does working on that and you also work in the industry you work at eyeline magazine yes does does working within the industry does that does it burn you out on art at all does it make you tired or or weary of sort of being over overexposed or is that a non-issue for you that's not an issue I've never even thought of that I I um I know this sounds really cheesy, but I don't think I could get enough of the art world. I think there's so much to discover and so many people to get to know that there's just like an endless amount of opportunity. And I think, yeah, I've never had an issue with that. Brilliant. Uh, you are the ideal. <laughs> I, th- I think. Is there something wrong with me? <laughs> no, I I don't think so. But um, I think now that we've talked logistics for a little bit of this show, I wanted to yes. loop back to your practice oh, yeah. and ask you sort of what led to you shifting from the body to the mind, from the physical to the metaphysical. Was it a natural shift? Was it, did you encounter some sort of idea or philosophy? What, what is it that, 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 that uh, encapsulated this? Mm-mm. So towards the end of semester one, when I was exploring the body, I started to look into Freud's concepts on the consciousness. And 
I was more interested in him talking about the consciousness than how that relates to the body. And I think that's when I knew that I needed to shift, that the body was becoming an easier thing to explore. Not super easy, but it was just, I, I was losing meaning in it. And so that's when I shifted. And also because at the end of the semester, I was really disappointed. I, you know, I, I don't know how I felt. I was like, this can't continue for the next year and a half. Or, you felt like you'd hit a resolution. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And also because for as long as I can remember, I've always asked questions about my existence and interested in space and, and things like that. And so at the start of this semester, second semester, I said to my tutor, I was like, this is what I want to do. And from there, that's just what I did. And the body, I kind of made a rule that I wasn't going to bring the body in maybe until I'm ready, but I don't think that's going to happen for a while. What, um, what is the delineation that you make between the body and the mind? I guess because the, the brain is actually a physical part of the body and because it is something tangible and intangible at the same time as the body, but the body is just tangible. I don't know. And also because how the brain, it tells your body what to do and how that is like the soul of our existence. And I think that's also how I connected them together. There's lots of like these elements that maybe I don't really understand yet, but I know that there are connections there. Yeah. We're just nodding at each other now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and and so so do you think once maybe you have a, a more a more solid conception for you of how that connection manifests, that's maybe when you'll shift back to the body or including the body? I don't think it's more so understanding the connection. I think it's about understanding perception and how the brain works. And then I will connect them together if if that happens, because I, I feel like I have a good understanding of the body while well, my body. And so, yeah, just forming that connection maybe in the future will happen. Yeah. We were talking pre-show about perceptions and perceptions yeah. of the world and the word perception uh, occurs on the door of your studio and sure does. <laughs> on uh, carved into a glass mirror yes. in your studio um, as opposed to another kind of mirror. Um, uh, I want to ask you sort of what's, What's your, both your definition and your, your fascination with perception? Okay. Um, how I define perception, I think it's just what we absorb and also physically what we see. So it's both like mentally and physical is perception to me. I think what sparked the explorations was earlier on in my second semester. So that would have been a couple of months ago. I, um, I learned that everything is a controlled hallucination. Like what we see is a controlled hallucination. And so that made me think about... Can you expand on that for a second? Uh, I don't even know how to explain it because I was watching this um, TED talk and they did this experiment where they had um, a person's arm on one side and then inside of that arm there was a false, a plastic arm but you could only see the plastic arm. The person couldn't see their real arm. And then someone came along and hit the plastic arm and they jumped. And that was like how 
the brain expected that false arm to be the actual arm. And so it perceived that arm to be the real thing. And so that's, that's what sparked all of this and about like controlled hallucinations, meaning that the brain has assumptions about everything that we see because mm -hmm. it's already seen it before. And so that's, that's what I mean by that. And then from there. Yes. And then from there, I started thinking about, you know, I got into a really dark phase where I was like, what if this is not real? <laughs> you know, really. Um, Brain in the vat sort of theory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just like looking into theories about um, questioning our perceptions and thinking if everything wasn't here and that, you know, we're in some dream or a Sims game, like a Ooh. simulation. Yes, I really like Sims. Um, and so that's what made me think about it. I think also our existence is how we perceive things. You know, we rely on the brain. And I had this, this weird realisation where I was like, the brain doesn't have eyes, but it uses, like, our eyes to see things. And that was a really strange realisation. I mean, like, it's already there. We know it's there. But when you think about something like that, you're like, oh... Okay, right. that's interesting. And, and like other, other little things, like the brain named itself. That sort yeah, of thing. yeah, 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 yeah. Do the eyes count as part of the brain? Well, I guess they're connected. Yeah. They're one of the most directly connected organs, I think. Yeah. Between eye and brain. But there's still a millisecond delay. And the brain has to flip of the images your eye sees and perceive it. And There's a lot happening back there. There's yeah. a lot. Yeah, so much. I mean, the idea that, that you don't, see objects you don't see the essence of objects Noam Chomsky has some good stuff on this mm. um yeah sort of ideas that you, you you know you look at I'm holding a mug this is a visual example for those listening to this audio podcast but you hold the mug and what you see is a mug you see something you drink out of you don't see uh a um what's the material called that a mug is, is it like a of? ceramic yeah yeah you yeah. don't you don't see sort of a ceramic um, cylinder with a hole on the top. Like that, that's not what you see. You see a mug. You with know which it's to a drink, mug. And you know it's a mug. Yeah. And you see the mug before you see the ceramic because you see ideas. Yes. Yes. Um, which is, which is an interesting, interesting sort of set of propositions and one that seems to be relatively minimally disputed in the psych world as much as anything can be minimally disputed in the psych world. Yeah. Um, are there any particular sort of theorists or theories? I know, I know you're particularly interested in existentialism mm. um, that sort of you reference in your, in your work, in your current set of explorations. No, not at the moment. Just because existentialism is such a big topic and it is something that I have interpreted as my own thing, that I've been looking at lots of different little things and working out what I'm interested in and then I think next semester I'll work on delving more into specific theorists on those things. But a big part of my explorations have been looking into the universe and I listen to a lot of Brian Greene's podcasts on um, string theory and the potential mm -hmm. of, um, you know, like a multiverse and parallel universes. So I think that's one person who I did look more into and read more about. But apart from that, it's been just lots of little bits of information. 
Yeah, almost almost like a pre-research. Yeah, phase. yeah. So so you say you're going to get back into that next semester. Your house conspiracy residency wraps up in a couple weeks. Yes. What are you going to do over the summer? I am going to take a break. Yeah? Yep. I'm, I'm going to go to the beach. I am going to try and do almost nothing just because I need time to digest everything that I've learned because the semester is such a big hunk out of you. So I just, I want to rest up for next year and start up again. Great. Yeah. So any exhibitions or anything coming up or are you, you're out after House Conspiracy is done until you launch back into it next year with post-datum and semester? Yeah. Nothing set in stone yet. There are things that, you know, I have in the works, but nothing to be spoken about yet. Wonderful. And just to sort of land the podcast quite smoothly, uh, yes. where can we find you online? Online, uh, it's just Anna Latwinovich, Facebook, Instagram, and my website. Wonderful. There's only one of me. There's only, there's only one Anna <laughs> Litwinovich in this world. Yes, yes. I said it right. You did. I'm proud of you. Thank you. All right, let's end the podcast on a proud note. Thanks, Anna. <laughs> Thank you. The House Conspiracy Podcast is produced at House Conspiracy by me, Jonathan O'Brien, and Tyler William Morrison. Mixing and editing by Tyler William Morrison. And music by the Reverend Isha Ramdas. If you'd like to support House Conspiracy, you can do so at houseconspiracy.org donate, and you can learn more about what we offer here at houseconspiracy.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>